Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today it is just you and I. I have been thinking about this for quite a while, and it is the fact that our audience has grown substantially over the last six months or so, in large part due to our truth-seeking and evidence-based nature surrounding COVID-19 and the content that we generate and share online. So I thought it'd be useful, hopefully, for our older and newer members of our Truth Seeking tribe to cover a few things off in this solo podcast. Namely, I wanted to share with you my worldview that forms the basis of my thinking. To be honest with you about my biases that bring both passion, but do need to be managed. I want to let you know how I generally learn and integrate all the things Adaptation produces, my approach to research and content creation, the most frequent used data sources for our COVID analysis, and the things that are important to statistical analysis and statistical visualization. Hopefully this will be a useful insight for you guys and helps better understand the person behind all of this COVID content you receive from us, whether it be on Facebook or other social platforms. All right, let's just get straight into it then. Let's cover off my worldview. Now, listen, you know, I'm not projecting here. I'm just letting you know how I see the world. You may agree with part of this. You may agree with all of it. You may disagree with all of it. That's okay. But if you're going to be consuming our content, I think it's important that I'm honest with you as to how I see the world, and then I'll share with you my biases too. So let's be clear. My worldview is not a fixed thing. Um, I do think, obviously, as a child, it would have been developed and cemented in place, and changing worldviews and ideologies is difficult, but it can be done. If you're deliberate in your effort to pursue greater knowledge and wisdom, no doubt, as you age and as you get older and as you see things differently, there's either nuance to your worldview or there's some transformation to it. And I know for myself, the way I see the world has transformed massively over the last three years because I've had so much time to think and engage and learn and educate myself. So what are the the tenets of my worldview as it relates to adaptation and specifically as it relates to this COVID-19 stuff? Well, there's a few things. First, I think human physiology is so important. We need to understand what our body does and how it operates. Most importantly, we need to understand how to look after our body in order to really just live a fulfilled and healthy life, be able to navigate challenges and risks and problems like this year elegantly. An extension of that is I think we should really look to understand human microbiology much better than we actually do. If this year has taught us anything is that we get bamboozled with black box science that sounds scientific, that kind of makes sense at a kind of rational, logical level, but when you dig deeper, it's all BS or nuanced or out of context or missing huge bits of the puzzle. So I think it's important that I, and for anyone else who cares about their health, spends just a little bit of time to understand their microbiology. And I'm, I'm talking about mitochondrial health, metabolic health, immune system health, the interplay between all these systems and organs, you know, the brain, the, you know, the, the kidneys, the liver, the heart, the lungs, the digestive tract, 
how it all works together, understanding your endocrine system, understanding the interplay between your digestive tract um, and hormone creation, and how all of this kind of plays out beautifully together. Understanding that, and especially understanding your immune system, would go a long way in, I think, calming people down and also giving them agency to resolve any issues that they realize they have as as a human being in terms of their health. I think that optimal nutrition is paramount to human health. I've got my own views, evidence-based, scientific, and ancestral views on what optimal nutrition is. It really is a foundation of nutrient-dense real food and minimizing antagonistic inflammatory foods. I won't go into the detail here, but I think that is so important, so fundamental to human health. Because think about it this way. There's no animal on earth other than humans where you would say the food doesn't matter. Of course it matters. A lion eats certain foods. A monkey eats certain foods. Ants eat certain foods. Like there's, there's choices. There's natural choices in the natural habitat that they choose to not only survive but thrive through millions if not billions of years. And I think we have forgotten that somewhere down this path. And I'll get to the reasons why in a second. I do think, and this is a bit deep, I do think we are struggling as individuals with who we are. Understanding our identity, understanding our role in society, understanding how to deal with our conflicts and our um, cognitive dissonance and our worldview. We're struggling. And, but I do think that generally people are doing the best they can with what they have. But that doesn't make them right. It makes them right based on what they know, but it doesn't make them right in terms of universal truths. And I think the more we understand that we're all struggling, we're all trying our best. It's just person A may have 10 times more knowledge than person B. Person B isn't a bad person. They just haven't invested the time, whether it be through formal education or just general curiosity, to understand the nuance of the discussion. And therefore, without knowledge, you're easily influenced by someone with a compelling message, whether it be fear-based or reward-based. I look at the medical establishment. I look at medicine generally, pharmaceuticals, and I don't hold much regard to them. Now, don't get me wrong. I see acute treatment, like hospital care, for the way it was designed originally, which is to deal with acute injury and pregnancy and stuff like that, I think is marvelous, incredible. So many lives have been saved because We've got surgeons and people that know how to deal with episodes, acute injuries. But where I think the medical establishment lets us down massively is with the obsession of chronic care. I see it really as an industrial complex focused on covering up symptoms versus making you healthy. It's instead making you dependent on their drugs, on their healthcare. And that takes agency away from you and I. And let's look, look at it this way. You look at heart meds, you look at cancer treatments, diabetes medication, anti-inflammatory meds, and acids. I mean, we can go through the list. All of these medications or treatments come with significant side effects. None of them are the holy grail. Many of them don't work. Or if they work, it's a mild effect, removing some of the symptoms or minimizing the symptoms, but not addressing the root cause. Cancer treatments are probably the worst for that. You know, we're, we're dealing with an end-stage disease state at the end. 
versus enabling our people to understand what got them there in the first place and getting them to change, fundamentally change the way they live their life, what they eat and how they behave such that they stop fueling disease. And I don't think medicine generally does a good job at all at helping us understand what is it we're doing wrong that's leading us to need the medication in the first place. And for that, another kind of view of mine is that we should all be wellness detectives. And I don't mean all obsessional and geeky like me, but ask the question, why? Why am I feeling X symptom? Why am I having low energy? Why is my skin looking the way it does? Why have I got some vitiligo? Why is my diabetes out of whack? Instead of saying, I've got diabetes, give me some insulin, understanding why I think is something that we could all do a better job at. It's not that complex, but you do have to be interested in your genuine health and wanting to take action. I have a view that we should favor ancestral needs, you know, our, our innate, natural, evolutionary consistent ancestral needs in this kind of, you know, meat sack of a body that really hasn't evolved much at all over the last couple of hundred thousand years. We should respect that versus um, putting innovation on a, on a pedestal, valuing that above all else. Innovation is great. I love technology. I use technology extensively. We're using technology right now to speak. But technology that is designed to influence my body, I'm not too keen on. I think we should be focused on what we need to do for our bodies to be healthy and use innovation to either help with that, that genuinely help and facilitate, and outside of that, minimize technology use versus accelerate our technology use and dependence. This one's a bit cut in, but I think true, which is I think most of my thoughts, actions, and choices are not my own. I didn't used to think that. If I'm honest, a couple of years ago, I would have not said that. I would have said everything that I do, everything that I think, and how I behave is completely down to my willpower and my agency. And whilst at a deep enough level, I know that to be true. I know I'm massively influenced societally, politically, economically, um, what I know to be true or not true. Uh, you know, my views on everything are being manipulated by propaganda, relentless, unprecedented propaganda. And if this year has not exposed that, I don't know what you need to get that message. We are, we are being told what to think, how to think, what to do, what not to do, and what to aspire to, quite frankly, by those that want us to share their ideology of not only how the world should be, but how they want us to be managed and controlled within that process. I think we'd all do a better job of just having our eyes open to how much propaganda there is. Now, not all of that propaganda will be lies. I'm thinking most of it probably isn't, but it's not necessarily with you in mind. And I think if we could just be more conscientious of that, and that's what we try and do with the work we produce, we might have a better outcome for us as individuals. Because ultimately, isn't that what you want? You want to live in a great society for sure, but don't you want to navigate the you know, 80, 90, 100 years of your life enjoying it? Or do you want it to suck? And if you don't want it to suck and you want to feel great and love life, I think it's a good idea we understand how we're being manipulated and, and ask the question, is it helping us or hurting us? There's a couple more. Um, I think that actions matter 
and suffering is life. What does that mean? You know, I know this year there's been so many people that have been driven into action, not inaction, because of the despair and frustration they have with how this whole COVID thing is playing out. I think it's important to act, even if you think you're just one individual and you're struggling to see what effect you will have, acting is important. Take action. Whatever it is, as small as it is, just be consistent. And acknowledge that it's going to come with attacks and it's going to come with some suffering and a little bit of struggle. I think I liken this to going to the gym. I know I need to go to the gym, I need to act, and I understand it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be enjoyable. It shouldn't be enjoyable if you're actually challenging yourself. But there is enjoyment that you get because you know ultimately your actions are good actions. The suffering or the struggle is not pain that's unrewarded, actually. You do get a reward for it. You get physical change. And I think we generally need to look at our actions in life and go, I know it's difficult. I know it's not popular. I know it might not be enjoyable, but I need to act. I need to follow my heart and I need to do something as small or as grand as it can be. Lastly, I acknowledge I have both faults and I have qualities. On the fault side, I know that my intellectual pride gets in the way quite often. Um, I like to be right. And that can that can be difficult and challenging for me to work through. I know that my time management can suck. I know I have too much flexibility in my day to favor the interesting things versus the essential stuff. And I prefer to debate versus comfort people. I think I like the curiosity and the learning side of debate, but sometimes people just want to be comforted and be listened to without being told that you know more. And I know I can struggle with that. When it comes to my qualities, I, I think I do a good job at leaning in with those. So I'm a curious chap. I am a deep and technical thinker. I'm a decent communicator. I love design. And what I mean by that is creating visually compelling content. Um, I work well with data. I do a pretty good job of connecting the dots of kind of disparate sources and asking creative questions. I know in my heart I'm a truth seeker. That's why I'm so curious. And I'm comfortable being a contrarian. I'm comfortable not being popular if it doesn't make sense. If someone's asking me to do something that doesn't make sense and it affects my life, especially if it affects it negatively, if it doesn't make sense, I'm comfortable being a black sheep, going the other way, knowing it's unpopular, knowing I'm going to get shit for it. But as long as I know that I'm doing the right thing and I'm informed in making that choice, I'll make that choice happily. Net-net, with all of these kind of perspectives of my worldview, it basically means that it's my life experience with my current worldview and my current view of myself, plus my just innate wiring that makes me uniquely positioned with my kind of unique culmination of gifts, talents, traits, and faults that makes me do what I do and makes me able to do what I do. And honestly, without all of the above, my way of doing stuff probably won't resonate with you. And that's not only acceptable, it's expected. So when I share with you in a moment like how I, how I do my research, take from it what works for you and accept that you and I are different. And you might be gifted in 20 different other things that I'm not and could do a much more better job than I do. And there might be a couple of things that I do that, you know, just don't jive with you and that's okay. Right, so that covers my worldview, an extension of my worldview then, acknowledging that I do have a map of the world, is to acknowledge that 
that absolutely is going to influence me, but I'm conscious about it in terms of my bias. So I do have a bias. I do have some dominant biases as it relates to the work that I do. I do the best I can to try and manage those. Step one is be conscientious of those and admit those. So here goes. These are my biases. Um, I believe that we have complete agency regarding our health, but it's societally difficult. I believe that ancestrally consistent living is the solution to good health versus medical and government intervention. I believe that the terrain is more important than the germ, i.e. your host health, your health as an individual is more important than the pathogenicity of a virus or a bacteria. I believe we live in a world of ideological and industrial propaganda, yet almost all of us are blind to the manipulation. I believe that chronic or preventative allopathic medicine is by and large ineffective when compared to holistic, natural ways of looking after yourself. And this medicine and this kind of complex is a cash cow. It is damaging to our health and mindset and is a disease care service, not a healthcare service. I see that the science in vaccines is incredibly weak. And I think it would be prudent for all of us to apply lots more scrutiny to this science, this, um, they call it biologics. Because really, when you dig deep into the data and you look at just the last 50 to 70 years, and you look at the effectiveness, there's a lot of questions. There's a hell of a lot of questions as to how much vaccines are actually contributing to the demise of certain infectious diseases or certain disease states. And how much of it is happenstance or just nature playing out? How safe are they? Because there have been lots of claims, injury claims to date, and lots more if the system was free and able to expose those. I just think it's such murky water. And we would all be do a better job of not being so faith-based with, uh, with vaccines and instead being intellectually and scientifically evidence-based looking for the evidence to unequivocally prove that both they're effective, necessary, and safe. I believe that a nourished and non-taxed immune system is infinitely more capable than synthetic vaccines that really are just trying to replicate a portion, a small, tiny sliver of what our immune systems do by themselves. And I think it'd be worth us really bearing that in mind more when we think about taking medicine generally to try and do something that our bodies do naturally. I think that COVID-19 is grossly overhyped. It's fueled by mass data fraud, flies against the science we do know about epidemics and our immune system, and it's being leveraged, quite frankly, from where I sit, to usher in big changes in capitalism, democracy, technocracy, economy, and people management. And ultimately, I see very little public health gain from the COVID power play and government and media obsession. In actual fact, I see significant impacts, negative impacts to physical, mental, and social health, which is being exacerbated for our youth, whose future, let's face it, is becoming increasingly uncertain 
and very likely less healthy and less fulfilling. So as you can see, I have a bunch of biases. I, I believe, I, and you know, I, I try and be as honest as I can be with myself that evidence and data, empirical data, science supports every claim I've just made. But I recognize that those foundational views and biases may force me to look at certain things and want to project certain things in a way that others wouldn't because they see the world differently and their biases play out differently in their work. So, you know, this is just me being open and honest with you. And I welcome conversation if you believe that my way of seeing things is fundamentally flawed. Let's have a conversation. I'm always up for learning and developing my thinking. So with that being said, how do I go about producing so much COVID-19 content? What am I doing to make that possible? Now, again, I think this is quite individualistic. So what I say here may or may not be of use to you personally, but at least you get to know me a little bit more and therefore can judge whether my stuff is worth you know, taking seriously. In general, I am a growth-minded individual. I'm a learner. I've always been a learner. I've always been interested in learning. So I have a general investment in learning, which might be higher than the average person. I listen to a lot of podcasts, informational, fact-based podcasts, evidence-based and scientific podcasts with brilliant minds and specialists. I read a ton of nonfiction books, focusing in the domains that Adapt Nation focus on. So whether it be you know health mindset, strength, uh, microbiology, all that kind of stuff. I read a ton of articles, but quite frankly, the articles I read are either found through investigative work or people send to me. I don't typically source out, you know, media myself. I read quite a lot of scientific papers, but I don't just read the abstract. I read the methods, the results, the conclusion and discussion, because there's usually nuance and abstract doesn't often capture the essence of what the work is and what the data is saying. As I say, I'm a geek for biology and microbiology, and I've really, really, really dug into that like exponentially this year, building on what was already a solid foundation coming into 2020. But not only do I listen to great podcasts, but I do my own podcast too. I've had 150 podcasts to date, and I've interviewed some fantastic minds. And that really just gets my curious, deep thinking mindset going. And that really helps me learn and integrate the knowledge uh, into my being. I do learn by writing. And I think a lot of us do the same, actually. So I listen and I write things down, make notes, scribble things down, highlight. But I find to really cement that knowledge, I have to create my own content. So I learn and then I create something, whether it be orally or visually, that's distinctly mine. And in doing so, I really encapsulate that learning. And then even more, it's about teaching. So if I can learn something and then pass it on in a way which makes sense to you, that for me is the litmus test that I've got it. I follow many experts that I think most of you do. So Twitter's a source of some fantastic minds. And of course, there are a number of podcasts that I listen to. Between those two resources, I just feel that it's a gift. I get infinite amounts of knowledge. I have to be selective on what I receive. But um, that's a definite investment I make. I don't listen to or follow many people that just do, you know, general chit chat or 
fantasy stuff or fiction stuff or sports stuff. It's almost all exclusively fact-based learning for me. That's just the way I'm wired. I don't do much in the way of listening or watching videos. I don't know what it is about that format. It just doesn't work for me. I don't know. I think it's, I find TV is a bit of a dirty habit. Um, it's um, it's an indulgence and you can't really multitask because it requires everything from you. So I listen to podcasts, but I don't really watch YouTube or video much unless there's something compelling that someone's advised that I go watch. To try and deal with my biases, I do actively seek out dissenting voices. They might be popular voices and I might be the dissenting voice, but nonetheless, I'm looking to follow people that do think and engage with the world differently to I. Not that I know that I'm wrong or that I know that I'm right. Instead, it's just going, I know this person has a different perspective and it'll be prudent of me to continue to listen to dissenting voices so I don't form an echo chamber and no doubt my worldview and my biases will shift as I continue to get the full picture from people that believe different things to why. You know, I'm partly right, they're partly right, somewhere in the middle is the truth. And I believe it's useful for us to not only consume content from other people that we may disagree with, but actively seek it out, especially if you're doing research. As a personal rule, I don't seek out the news whatsoever. So I don't use any news apps. I don't watch the news. It's really not part of my life. I do consume some news pieces, but that is mainly, almost exclusively, through content being either sent to me on our kind of Facebook page or through people that I respect and appreciate sharing content online, mostly on Twitter. So outside of those two pieces, I just don't engage with the news. I don't find it productive and I just know that there is just too much nuance and bias there. And talking about that, when I do engage with mainstream media, I guess I've got a keen eye for bias. I can see where their bias has been projected. Omissions, missing context, over-exaggerations, or political or ideological biases just bleeding through every word. So I take that into consideration when I'm reading their piece to know that whether I like what they're writing or I don't, I have to acknowledge that they are biased in their writing. With the few mainstream media pieces that I do pick up and engage with, I make sure I try and follow the sources. So if it's a piece that I think is relevant and potentially informs me in a way I didn't know before, I want to make sure that I go follow the sources. So who are they suggesting the study came from? Where did where did that anecdote come from? Who's the person they're writing about? Let, let's learn about the source to make sure that ha- the data or the insight hasn't been manipulated in support of how they see the world. And lastly, I do save a ton of URLs and group them by topic. So when I find something good and it's an insight that's worth keeping, I don't just move on. I'll grab the URL, I'll write a short description, I'll stick it into one of several different um, notes effectively. Okay, now what about my specific research efforts in creating the COVID-19 or the general adaptation content? Well, this is how I go about it. When I'm digging into a topic, I spend sometimes hours, it might be half a day, depending on the complexity of it, to make sure I have a strong grasp of all the facts, the science, and associated data. I really do take pride in knowing that what I am sharing with our followers has been personally validated by me to the best of my ability. And where possible, I go straight to the source. So 
if there's an official data source, I'm there. I'd rather go there, not work with other people's graphs, not work with other people's observations and conclusions. If the data's available and it's publicly available, I'll be, I'll be there. I live in Excel, as you probably can tell, but increasingly, I'm also working with an online visualizer called Data Wrapper, which is basically, think about it as an online Excel graphing tool that you can use to embed within your website. And that's what we do with the COVID Plus Insights. For overall infographic design, I use Photoshop mostly just because I'm familiar with the features. I've been using that tool for years, but there's other publisher tools or kind of infographic tools you could use to do the same thing. And to get the message out, as you know, of course, I use social media as our primary tool, so Facebook principally, and podcasts. Um, but because I'm a long-form guy, you'll find most of my content is in one of those two platforms. We, of course, do have some stuff that's also on Twitter and Instagram and occasionally on YouTube. When I think about my data analysis, which is, I think, the crux of this, there are some big things that... you big things you need to take into consideration or know. So you need to know what questions to ask of the data. You need to know how to ask those questions technically from the data. Then you need to think about how to technically present the data and what disparate data sources should be evaluated together. So like source A and source B from two different places, if I bring them together and merge them, Maybe it brings an insight that, you know, the isolated data doesn't provide. So it's useful to know how to do that. It's also good to know how or what the most effective visualizations are for any given situation and data set. As you can see through Adaptation's work on COVID-19, there's a lot of different visualizations. And having a knowledge of which ones to use, depending on what the data is saying, um, I think is a useful skill. And of course, having a statistical background and strong skill set in Excel and data work generally is something you're going to need if you want to not just do this one-off, but you know, be a prolific uh, sharer of statistical analysis and graphs and tables and you know, kind of visualizations on data. In terms of the COVID data sources that I use in particular, and I'll link to all of these in the show notes, there's quite a few of them. But the big biggies are, um, I use the DHSC COVID-19 dashboard, which is the primary government dashboard. The good thing with this dashboard is it allows you to download their data. You can do it individually per graph, but if you use something called an API, you can pull that data down automatically and just have it load up onto your server or to your laptop. So I do that. So I grab all their data every single day. ONS is a regular source of data for me. Um, the ONS weekly DEFS data is what I use principally, but they will do special bulletins and certain other things and I'll pull that down and work with their you know time series data frequently. When it comes to Swedish data, because we do a lot of compares to Sweden, we use FHM and SCB data sets for both COVID-related data as well as general DEFS data in Sweden. NHS also provide a bunch of data, mostly kind of time series-based data on general and COVID-related hospital activity. And they release certain data daily, weekly, and monthly. So I'll make sure I pull that stuff down too. I'll use our world in data if I just wanted to grab a quick snapshot from them to be able to share with our followers. 
and they have great data globally, so it's a good place to go and check out you know, comparisons, especially on the same graph. As well as that, they have a feature to pull down the entire data set in a CSV file. So I'll pull that down regularly too. Weldometer is a similar type service, but it's a little bit more simplistic. It's better for um, leaderboards and more simplistic visualizations of cases and deaths, so we'll use that. Plus there are a bunch of others depending on the question I'm trying to answer. Now the good news is for you that the bigger questions or the more consistent, frequent questions I have of the UK or English data as it relates to COVID-19, I have automated and I put into the COVID plus insights dashboard on adaptation.io, which helps try and automate some of the, you know, the analysis I was doing in Excel and feeds in the data on a kind of semi-automatic basis so that you guys can see it. It's always there. It's always on. It's always fresh and it's accessible via our website. Okay. I think, I think that's about it. That's all I really wanted to share today, guys. Um, Hopefully you know more about me now, how I think, the biases I'm consciously aware of and attempting to mitigate, and my general and specific approaches to learning, research, and creating evidence-based content, and where I go for my official data. And look, as a determined, truth-seeking optimist, this year has been a calling of sorts to step up and use my unique blend of skills and to expose the lies and enlighten people with evidence-based and empirical truth. I wish I could say I have been successful in my efforts to date, but the reality is this COVID machine is chugging along full steam ahead with little regard for truth, science, real data, or the harms that have been inflicted. I do hope my work somehow is destabilizing the propaganda and giving people the intellectual confidence and courage to call BS on a lot of the noise that we're receiving daily. And I hope that this pushback by the people continues to grow, leading to a collapse of this effort to assert permanent globalist, authoritarian, and communist-like changes to our society. Look, technology is great, and I love technology, personally. But there have been too many examples of technology being used and abused to assert greater control, power, and influence over people. We are absolutely seeing this today with testing, tracing, censoring, message amplification from mainstream and social media, vaccines, and overall increase in societal surveillance and control. Hopefully, we look back on 2020 in years to come and hold it in high regard as the year that initiated positive change, where the people demanded a better, more effective democracy that actually works to serve the people and not the leaders, philanthropists, and industry. Let's see how this plays out. I remain eternally optimistic. Keep fighting for truth, real freedom, and genuine human health. I love you all. Take care. Whoa, just before you go, I want to know two things from you, if you would be so kind. Firstly, how did you find that episode? Was it insightful? Was it practical? 
Has it got you thinking about things differently? If so, do us a huge favor, please, and write us up a quick review in your podcast app, whether it be on Apple or Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast platform. And secondly, have you checked out the Be Your Best journey yet? If you haven't, that's cool, but go to adaptnation.io or click the link within the show notes and just take a look around. See how we put together the messaging as to the value of this online course and program. And if you've got any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And if you're interested about it, then hey, there's no time like the present. Get involved. It's 100 days of personal growth and self-development. I am sure you're going to get a lot of value from it. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.